Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The rest of you can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I originally thought I was going to preach one message with all of the end of chapter 5. And as I began doing my sermon, it began to be 15 pages. And I'm like, they don't want to sit here for that long. And then I, I backed it out. And so really, actually, I'm not sure how long. We're, the ending of, the, of Thessalonians has got some good stuff in it. So we're just going to spend some time lingering here over the next few weeks. Obviously, next week, we're going to have a special Easter message um, that will be deviating from 1 Thessalonians. But um, as you're turning there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, over a period of four years... In our nation's history, 600,000 American soldiers lost their lives in what was the bloodiest war our nation has ever seen. If we were to use today's population figures for the deaths during the Civil War, it would be about 5.2 million Americans that lost their lives. The North versus the South. The Union versus the Confederacy. The Civil War. It was a dark day. Those four years in the, in the life of our nation. But what happens when you're a father and your sons are fighting in the Civil War and one's a general for the North and one's a general for the South? That's what happened to U.S. Senator John Crittenden from Kentucky. He had two sons. George and Thomas, both generals in the Civil War. George, the oldest, was serving as a general for the Confederacy. Thomas, the younger, was serving for the Union. And so think about just if those two brothers had to face each other in combat. That's the ultimate in Civil War. Not just nation against nation, but it's brother against brother. And that's what Civil War does. It brings brother against brother. And many times... Civil war can creep into the life of a church and bring brother and sister against brother and sister in the life of the church. At my former church, there was an issue of division that slowly crept in and almost destroyed the church. Uh, My pastor had been there just maybe two or three years. This was before I had come when I was serving as youth pastor, and, and he was leading the church to embrace God's will and God's purposes, uh, teaching them about um, you know, the scriptures. And then all of a sudden, this pastor and his wife that were retired moved from Denver down to that church. And this pastor began to undermine the authority of my pastor. What this man would do was they started a home Bible study. And they would invite new people from the church into the home Bible study. And they would begin to say things like this. Do you really think our pastor knows what he's talking about? Do you really think our church is spirit-filled? Do you really think our church is going in the right direction? Do you really trust the leadership of our pastor? And pretty soon that group said, well, let's just take over. 
And so one Sunday morning, they almost took over the church. It came time for testimonies. The church was running about 100, and so um, our pastor gave opportunities for people to share testimonies, what was going on in the life of the church. Well, the pastor's wife comes up to the pulpit, and she begins to preach, to prophesy, first person, about what God was telling the church to do. And pretty soon, my pastor had to get up and basically rein her in, calm things down, There was a week of confusion. There was a week of hurt feelings. There was a week where where nobody really knew what had happened. But thankfully, the church was not destroyed. They came out even stronger on the other end. That group that wanted to take over the church eventually left. But here it was, a group of people that wanted to undermine the authority of leadership that God had placed in a church. And that church experienced a time of peace as a result of going through that difficulty. And that's the ultimate goal, to experience peace. Now, as we come to the close of 1 Thessalonians, there's a lot going on here. It's going to take us some time. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask one question. Our our sermon series, as we kind of wind it down in 1 Thessalonians, has been asking questions. And here's the final question we're going to ask, and we're going to see it unfold in five ways. We're just going to look at one this morning. But here's the ultimate question we're going to ask. What is a gospel-centered church? And here's the answer from the scriptures. And we're going to unpack it over the next few weeks, but here's the answer that Paul gives us. A gospel-centered church is a family that lives in peace with one another. A family that lives at peace with one another. What does it look like for us as Emmanuel Baptist Church to live life together as a church? Because here's the problem in our Americanized Western version of Christianity that's very privatized, that doesn't want to get involved. A lot of people will walk through these doors, they will sit down, they will watch the show for an hour, and they will leave, and they will never make investments in other people's lives as a church family. And that's not the way that God has called us to live as Christians. That's not the way God has designed us to live. God has designed us to live as a family. The word brothers or brothers and sisters shows up over 20 times in 1 Thessalonians. It is a book on what it means to be a church family. So the question we've got to ask is how do we live as a family? And how do we have peace in the family? And Paul answers it for us. And we're just going to look at a few verses this morning. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul begins this section with be at peace among yourselves, and he ends the section down there in verse 23. May the God of peace, he bookends it with this whole idea of peace. His main goal in closing out the letter is to say, listen, Thessalonian church, I want you to live as a church family at peace with one another. 
And if you remember earlier in chapter 1, we looked at the fact that the Thessalonian church, they were examples to other churches around them. They were a model church. They were a repenting church. They were um, an imitating church. And so God had used this church to do some powerful things, not only in their individual lives as a church, but had a far-reaching impact across the world. And so Paul's reminding them as he closes this this letter down, listen, guys, you're a powerful church. God has made you this, this influential church let's not lose it. Let's be at peace. Let's live as a church family. And so my prayer all along as we've been going through this book is, would Emmanuel be a Thessalonian type of church? Would that we be a Thessalonian type of church? And so what Paul's going to do is Paul's going to describe five ways that this church can act as a family. Now we're not going to look at all five. I thought I'd do that this morning, but I thought that's information overload. We're going to look at one. I've gone from five to one. Some of you are saying, amen, praise the Lord. But this whole issue is about peace. Be at peace among yourselves. You realize that this idea of peace is a key theme throughout the Bible. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew 5, 9? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Making peace. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Be at peace. Be a peacemaker. Live at peace. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 3, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of Peace, eager to to maintain the peace, eager to remain unified, eager to strive for peace. And then in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So you need to realize as we go forward, one of the chief characteristics of a maturing, growing, healthy Christian and a healthy church is this. You're a peacemaker. You seek peace. You seek peace in your interpersonal relationships. You seek peace in your home. You seek peace at the workplace. You are a person that strives for people getting along in peace. This gospel-centered type of relationships where you are striving for, maintaining, eager for there to be peace. And here's why it's important. Here's why it's important that we learn to get along inside the church. Because there's going to come a day where we're going to receive attacks from outside the church and we need to be able to bond together, to stay fast together. And it also affects our witness. If we can't be together inside the church, how is our witness going to look like outside the church? So we need to be about peace with one another. So in this passage of Scripture, through the end of the book, Paul's going to give five ways we live at peace. But I'm going to give you the first this morning. And here's the difficult one. This is a difficult message for me this morning. And you'll know why as I share with you the first one. Here it is. You live at peace when you graciously follow the leadership of your elders. Now I tread lightly on this because I am one. I'm the teaching elder here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And I want to make sure that I I come to this text with some humility this morning. That there's no confusion. Because some of you may not understand what it means when we talk about elders at Emmanuel. Elder is just another word for pastor. 
Okay, some of you have been here when we took the transition to elders. Some of you are new. Some of you have been through the new members class. Some of you have no idea. So, so it's important that we talk today about what are the elders of Emmanuel and what are we responsible to do. Let me tell you who our elders are. I am one of the teaching elders, Russell Hirschberger, who, Elder Russell, this morning that prayed. Mickey Dubbs is one of our elders, and then Glenn Burton is another one of our elders. And so we are the men of the church that God has called to lead. And so it's important that we think deeply about elders. Now, let me just say that we are an elder-led church. An elder-led church. That means this. The theology, the direction, the vision is really led by the elders. But we are a congregationally ruled church, which means this. The final court of appeal is with you, the body, not us, the elders. We are not a Presbyterian type of government. In a Presbyterian type of government, it's elder rule where the elders have the final say and they are the ones that make all the decisions. We lead... But you as the congregation have the final say. You're the final court of appeal. You are the ones that can fire us. You're the ones that can get rid of us. You're the ones that can hold us accountable. So in other words, what I want us to understand this morning is that a gospel-centered church has a clear understanding of what is the role of an elder and what is your role as a congregation in light of that and how do the two work together. I want to recommend to you on your way out a paper. It's on the Welcome Center table. It's from a chapter in a book. And we've made copies of it. It's called Shepherding God's Flock. It's written by one of the professors at Southern Seminary. But it is the most clear explanation of how Emmanuel does church. If you want to know how we do church with elders and deacons and congregations and all the biblical things, it's out there for you to read as a a resource when you leave this place this morning. So you can grab a copy. So what I want to do this morning is I want to tell you seven factors or seven things related to elders, and then I want to pivot and show you three things that you as a congregation need to do in response to your elders. Now, oftentimes we don't talk about elders in church, but when a a, uh, passage of Scripture comes up that talks about it, We need to discuss it because there's so many new people coming and I want you to have a clear understanding of what it means for the elders to lead Emmanuel and how you as a congregation graciously follow that leadership. So what are the responsibilities of the elders? What are the responsibilities as you as congregation members? Here's the first thing I want us to look at. And this is where it all starts. Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm not the senior pastor I don't like that title. It doesn't fit me. There's only one senior pastor, and his name's Jesus. Now, there are two words that used in the Bible to describe a pastor. One is the word overseer. An overseer. One that leads, one that oversees. The other word used of a pastor is a shepherd. So you've got two words in the Bible that describe the role of a pastor. An overseer and a shepherd. But do you realize that this is what Peter uses to describe Jesus? So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, it says this about Jesus. He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to who? The shepherd and the overseer of your souls. 
Jesus is the shepherd. He's the overseer. That's pastor terminology. Jesus is the senior pastor of your life. He's the senior pastor of our church. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is not only the model of what it means to be a pastor or an elder, but he's also the sacrifice, and then he laid down his life for the sheep. By his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ is the king. And because he's seated in the right hand of heaven right now, ruling and reigning, he's reigning as our senior pastor. So Jesus builds the church. Jesus guides the church. Jesus directs the church. Jesus rules the church. What did Jesus say to Peter in Matthew 16? He said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus builds the church. Jesus rules the church. And so we need to understand from the very beginning here, any authority, any leadership, any type of thing that we as elders have, it's because Jesus has given it to us and we are sheep ourselves and our ultimate goal is to surrender to the chief shepherd, Jesus. He's the senior pastor of the church. So let me just say this. He's in charge. We are not. Jesus is in charge of this church. So that's number one. But number two, secondly, Jesus has sovereignly gifted the church with spiritual leaders. Yes, he's the senior pastor, but he has gifted the church with leaders. Now you say, how does Jesus gifted the church with leaders? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he, this is Jesus, he gave, that's a gift, he gave. What did he give the church? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I don't have time to go into all of this passage of Scripture, but let me just say for the sake of argument that pastor-teacher is one office, the pastor-teacher. It's the same as an elder. It's the same as a pastor. So we're going to use some words interchangeably here this morning, but the, the role of a pastor, the role of an elder, is to lead by teaching... But his primary, and our primary goal, Paul says there, is to equip, to equip the church so that you do works of ministry so that we will be built up. And here's the issue, and this is something that it's hard to to fathom. Whether you like it or not, Jesus has given this church the leaders Jesus wants this church to have. So I'm stuck with you and you're stuck with me. No, I'm just going to put it that way. For, 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 to be honest with you, Christ calls and gifts the church with the leaders he sovereignly wants. So right now, I'm your pastor. And the elders are your elders. And, and Andrew's your youth pastor. Your spiritual leaders have been given here by Jesus. And, and he's given the church, this church, what Jesus thinks this church needs right now. Now, it may not be what it needs in the future, but for right now, this is what Jesus believes this church needs. Now, our job is to equip. It's a very interesting word in the original language. It it could often mean mending a net that was broken, like a fishing net. It was used in the medical term to set a limb or to um, put a broken bone back in the shoulder. 
this whole idea that our job as leaders is not to do all the work. Our job is to equip you to do the work. So our goal as leaders is to, just to equip you, to teach you, to help establish you, to mature you. Number three, and I won't spend long on this, but elders must meet biblical character qualifications. It's not just, hey, any Joe Blow that wants to be an elder, be an elder. No, there are character qualifications that are spelled out very specifically. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, Paul gives the qualifications of an overseer, i.e. an elder, i.e. a pastor, interchangeable for all these different terms, okay? So, so when I say elder, when I say overseer, when I say pastor, it's all the same person, okay? The, the Bible uses those terms interchangeably. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer or an elder or a pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, an elder, a pastor must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, we don't have time to go into all those character qualifications, but there are two overarching things about a pastor, an elder. Number one, he's got to be a man of character integrity. And number two, he's got to be able to teach and preach. He's got to be a man of integrity, a man of character, a man who has a a godly family, a godly lifestyle, a godly marriage. And secondly, he's got to have the aptitude, the ability to teach. Now, it doesn't mean that all elders teach or preach. All of our elders right now are in current teaching positions, but not all of them stand up and preach. They just got to be able to do it. So elders need to be godly men who are apt in teaching. Titus 1.9 says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's, that's the role of an elder. Okay, here's the fourth thing, and this is where we're going to get to our passage now, okay? Elders are called by God to lead with humility, compassion, and vision. Now notice what Paul says back in our text. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor, who work among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Paul makes no excuses. Paul makes no apologies for leadership. He says there's pastoral, there's elder leadership in the church. Now, this does not mean that we're dictatorial. It does not mean we're authoritative. It does not mean that we're ungodly. But God has established spiritual leadership. And it doesn't mean that you as a church member are just to blindly follow our leadership. No questions asked. It's not as if we come to you and say, you've got to follow us no matter what. No, you've got to hold us accountable. You've got to make sure you ask questions. It's not blind obedience to leadership. But Paul does say here that God has appointed leaders, elders, to be in positions of leadership. When it comes to theology, when it comes to direction, when it comes to preaching and teaching, when it comes to vision, when it comes to purpose, when it comes to guiding this church to fulfill what God wants it to fulfill, God has given leaders. Now, notice what he says there. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you. In the Lord. 
It's, it's an interesting word there. It's one of Paul's favorite words to speak of spiritual leadership. Who are over you. I don't know what your translation says, but it's this. It literally means to stand in front of. To stand in front of. And I want you to think of that imagery here for a moment. Elders, pastors stand in front of the people. Now, physically, I stand in front of you every Sunday by giving you God's word. I stand in front, literally. But metaphorically, elders are to stand in front of the people in the sense that we are to be leading, we are to be guiding, we are to be trailblazing, we are to be pioneering, we are to be seeking God's will for this church as the, as the ones on the front end going forward. We are the ones who are, are leading. Now, this word, this Greek word really carries two meanings. It means, number one, to lead to supervise, to guide, to lead, to supervise, to to govern. The second nuance the word means is to do it with care, to do it with compassion, to do it with concern. So it really carries this idea of servant leadership. We are called to lead, but to lead with compassion, to lead with care. So elders are leaders. They're planners, they're organizers, they're visionaries. They're the kind of men who effectively care for people, they work hard, compassionately at leading and guiding. First Timothy 5.17, I've been spending a lot of time in this passage of Scripture over the past months. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, I don't like the way the ESV, I don't like the way the ESV translates that. First Timothy 5.17, where it says, let the elders who rule well. Rule is a strong word. We are not ruling elders. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses here in 1 Thessalonians of who are over you in the Lord. It means lead. The elders who lead well. So it means that we are to lead well. We are to be leading well, especially how do we do that? We lead well, especially when we work hard at preaching and teaching. When we work hard at making sure that you're taught and you're led. Now there's three interchangeable words that are used in the Bible. You've got shepherds, overseers, elders. They're all three the same thing. Paul uses all three of these when he talks to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Paul calls for the elders of the church to come. Paul preaches a message to the elders of the church. He calls these elders overseers, and he tells them to pastor. So Paul uses all three of these things interchangeably. He says in Acts 20, 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders. And what are you to do? You're to care for the church of God. Literally, in the Greek text, to shepherd, to pastor the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, here's the important thing. The Holy Spirit has made us overseers. We are not self-appointed men. We are not self-appointed men. The Holy Spirit in His sovereignty has called us, has set us apart to be leaders, and we're obedient to the call of the Holy Spirit on our lives. And we do this by leading, overseeing. We do this by shepherding, by caring, by pastoring. The shepherding imagery is very important. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd leads, a shepherd guides, a shepherd is out front. A shepherd diligently watches over the souls. This next part about eldership scares me to death. I'll be honest with you, it scares me to death. And it should scare every elder or a potential elder. Number five, elders will have to give 
and account and how they led the church. Hebrews 13, 17. I don't know if you knew this was in the Bible, but here it goes. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The word there, keeping watch, really means to go sleepless. The original language, it means to go sleepless. So as elders, we are to have sleepless nights over the souls of you. And there are many times where I've had sleepless nights over your souls. Because I know at one day, on the final day, I'm going to have to give an account. Stand before God Almighty and how I led this church and how I shepherded this church, how I looked over the souls of this church. And that scares me because I realize how bad a job I do most of the time. And we need to be careful here because he says, obey your leaders again. It's not blind obedience. You don't just blindly follow our leadership and do what we say because we're the elders. Our authority only comes in how well we preach the text and in how godly our lives are. That's where the authority comes from. So you have no right to follow us. If we're teaching something heretical, no right to follow us. If we're living lives that are ungodly, you have no right to follow us. Our authority only comes in the matter of how faithful we are to this and how faithful we are to God in our lives. And that leads to number six. Elders must be godly examples worth following. 1 Peter 5, 2-3. Shepherd, there's that word again. Shepherd, he's talking to elders here. Shepherd the flock, pastor the flock, care for the flock that's among you. How do you do that? You exercise oversight as an overseer. You do this by leading. Now, how do you do this? Not under compulsion because you have to, but you do it willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We're not to domineer. We're not to dominate. We're not to to, to, to be tyrannical, but we're to be examples to the flock. Now, we're not CEOs. A pastor and an elder is not a CEO who's a businessman that sits in a cold, calculated room and makes decisions based upon the bottom line the way a corporation would work. Do you know the difference between a shepherd and a cattle rancher? Some of you are cattle ranchers. What do you do with cattle? You drive cattle. You drive cattle. Pastors do not drive sheep. What do pastors do with sheep? They're out in front of the sheep and they call to the sheep, and they lead the sheep. And when a sheep gets hurt, or when a sheep gets scared, or when a sheep gets skittish, or when a sheep gets obstinate, what does a shepherd do? He goes and he makes sure the whole flock gets to the green pastures and the clean waters where God wants them to go. So we're not cattle rancher CEOs that drive people that are just detached and make these business decisions. No, we are first and foremost sheep ourselves because we're submitting to the chief shepherd, but we're out front leading with our voice through preaching and teaching so that all the sheep can reach the destination. Seven, elders as protectors may at times need to confront sin in the church. Notice what Paul says here in verse 12. 
These leaders, these who are over you, 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 we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you, who lead you, who admonish you. They admonish you. Now, this word admonish really carries the idea that they confront sin in, in, in order to lead you to repentance. They may at times have to confront sin. They may at times have to get in your face. They may at times have to intervene because ultimately, what does an elder want? He wants the best for you. He doesn't want you to continue in sin, so he may have to confront sin. Now, let me ask you a question. What would be more loving? Let me give you two scenarios, and you tell me which is more loving. I see you as a church member, and you're standing towards the edge of a cliff about ready to fall off. And you're, you're, you're so ready to stumble off that cliff. And I come up and I'm like, you know what? I really don't want to hurt his feelings. I'm so sensitive to the fact that he's got such great stamina to be able to, I just don't really want to intrude. I don't want to bother. Let's just let him fall off the cliff. After all, it's his choice. And I had good intentions. And, and as a matter of fact, I just don't want to cause waves. Let's just let him fall off. Is that loving? Or I say, hey, buddy. You're about ready to fall to your death. Let me grab you back. It may be harsh. It may be quick. But my main goal is not to be concerned about his feelings, but to save him from the cliff. Now, feelings can come later. I'm not saying I'm not concerned about feelings. But the urgency is is that he's falling off a cliff, and I need to save him from that. Sometimes elders have to save you from falling off a cliff, and that means we have to address sin. And we're not so concerned about whether we're going to hurt your feelings. We're more concerned about your soul. Now, those are the seven things related to elders. Now you know what responsibility elders have. We're to be godly leaders worthy of following. We're to labor in preaching and teaching. We're to be comparing and compassionate. But here's where it pivots. Remember, this is about being at peace with one another. What's your responsibility? Oh, I thought we were going to get off. I thought this was all about Pastor Sean and the elders. Well, now it's your turn. You have a responsibility to graciously follow our leadership. And I'm going to show you three specific ways this text tells you to do that. Now, again, this is very difficult because here I am at a sermon telling you, follow my leadership. As if, you know, who gives you the right, Pastor Sean? Well, I don't want to come across as authoritarian. I want to come across as humble. But I want to come across and and teach what the text says. So let's look at what the text says. Let's let the Bible be our authority. Three specific ways. Here's the first way. You should respectfully acknowledge the leadership of the elders. That's number one. You should acknowledge the leadership of the elders. If you look there in verse 12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect. Respect. It's kind of a difficult word to translate. Actually, in the literal Greek text, it means to know. Now, I think it means more than just to know your elders. Yeah, you need to know your elders. Who are your elders? Well, you know them by name. I know who the elders are. But there's a sense in which you need to get to know your elders. They're shepherds. They're not CEO businessmen that are detached. You need to get to to know them. But really what this word conveys is that you respectfully acknowledge them. In the sense that you acknowledge that God has sovereignly placed them as leaders in this church. And you acknowledge that. And you respect that and you get to know them and you respect them because of God's putting them in this position. So know your leaders, not just from a distance, but in close proximity. Get to know your elders. Acknowledge the fact that God has put them there. Respect them. But here's the second one. You should hold elders in the highest regard. 
Look at verse 13. And to esteem them very highly. The ESV here says to esteem them highly. I think the NIV says hold them in the highest regard. Hold them in the highest regard. Now, it doesn't mean that you do this because we're perfect or we're talented and we're all that. I can tell you these guys aren't. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> trying, to, trying to lighten the load here. But we do this because we've been ordained by Christ. We, we highly value, we, we highly esteem. Now let me just say this personally. I highly value and esteem the elders in this church. Every week that we, or every month that we meet for elders meetings, I value the leadership of these men. I value the friendship of these men. I value the wisdom of these men. I look up to these men. I want to be like these men when I grow up. They're models for me. And they inspire me. And if they inspire me, they should inspire you. You should look up to them. You should, you should honor them. Respect them. And third, you should earnestly love your elders. That's what Paul says in verse 13. To esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The bottom line for Paul is that you as a congregation would love your leaders. That you would encourage your leaders. That you would pray for your leaders. Again, you don't blindly follow us. No questions asked. You hold us accountable. Because remember, the final court of appeal is the congregation, not the elders. And let me just say this. We're imperfect. If you are looking for a perfect pastor and perfect elders, you have not found them. We will make mistakes. Let me say it even further. We will sin. Let me say it even further. There are times where we have sinned and made mistakes in this church. There's times when we have not led well. There's times where we've, we've blown it big times. There's times where we have failed because we're human. And that's just going to happen. It's not an excuse for us to, to not lead well. But I just want you to know that every single one of these men, including Pastor Andrew as well, they have this church's heart as a high priority. When we come together in elders meetings and we pray, we pray for the congregation. We make decisions based upon what we believe God is telling us to do. And, 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 and these are humble men that truly want to see God glorified. And so I would really appreciate it if you would pray for them. You would pray for the elders. You would love the elders. Pray for me as your pastor. One of the things I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to work hard at preaching and teaching. Why should I work hard at preaching and teaching? So when I stand up here, I don't sound like an idiot. So that when I stand up here, I'm not saying this is Sean's opinion. This is a happy story about Sean's life. Everything's about these funny little stories. But no, I come to you and say, this is what God's word says. And I've labored in the text to make sure that it impacts you with what God says. So pray for me when I do that. Pray that we would be godly examples. As a matter of fact, would you do me a favor this, this week, or maybe even after the service, maybe sometime this week, would you do something tangible to express your thanks to the elders? Something tangible. And that can be whatever you want it to be. But would you just do me the favor, and don't do it to me, but do it to the elders. Something tangibly where you can express your thanks. Because these guys work behind the scenes. 
They make a lot of decisions. They carry a lot of loads. They carry a lot of hats. They, they care about this church. They love this church. They teach this church. They lead this church. They pray for this church. They want to invest in this church. They have the best at heart for this church. And I would say this, any, I would go into any battle with these men and fight any battle with these guys by my side. Not just because they're my friends that I've got to know over the years, the 10 years I've been here, but because they're godly men who, who, who are the real deal. And so would you just love on them in some type of tangible way. Now, I thought about, okay, how do we do this? How do we as elders lead well, and how do you as a congregation follow our leadership? What's the motivation? Where's the strength to do this? Where's the power? Do you kind of somehow, as an elder, find the power within yourself and say, I've got to really work hard at this? Do you as a congregation say, well, we better pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we better just follow their leadership because that's just the thing to do? What if our personalities don't match? What if we don't click? What if you can't stand the elders or you can't stand me, but you're still part of Emmanuel? What do you do? How do you do it? Here's how you do it. And here's how all of us do it. Elders included. We always keep looking to the senior pastor. We always keep looking to Jesus. We keep looking to the chief shepherd. And what did Jesus do? Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus died on the cross for the sheep. Jesus loves the sheep. We focus on him. We draw our strength from him. And so when we look at Christ and we look at what he's done and we look at the, the cross and the resurrection and we look to Jesus and we, and we look to him for our leadership, then our eyes are off ourselves and then we get the strength because he gives us the power to be able to do this. Ephesians two thirteen and 14. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. You want peace in the church? You want peace between elders and church member and between church member and elders? You want peace? Then Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace. And how did he obtain that peace? By shedding his blood on the cross, by dying on the cross, by rising again. And he's the senior pastor. He's the overseer of our souls. He's the shepherd of our souls. And as we continue to surrender to him, as we surrender to his lordship, as we keep looking towards the cross, as we keep asking for power from the Holy Spirit, then we will have the stamina and the grace and the power for us as elders to lead well and to love well and you as a congregation will have the power and the strength to follow and support well and we can live at peace the way Paul has told us to live at peace and that's what it means to be a gospel-centered church a gospel-centered church means we're a healthy family that lives at peace so let's both elders and congregation let's all keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus who is the senior pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church. And to him alone receives all the glory. He rules and reigns. We do not. We simply submit and obey. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Would you spend some time this morning, and I guess just indulge me on this, if you spend some time this morning just praying for your elders. Praying for your leaders. Praying for yourself. Pray that you would obey the the teaching in this passage of Scripture. Pray for our church family. Pray that we'd be at peace.